You know, this morning I thought about banning white powdered donuts on Sunday morning. Because my... Okay, I won't. But I, maybe I should have to wear like a protective covering or something like that. Because I picked my daughter up, Emma, who's two years old, and she's eating her donut and wiping her face on me. And So if I have white spots on me or something like that, I, I tried to de... I tried to de-powder myself earlier, but anyways, oh man, it was so cool. I was at the youth group on Wednesday. Kurt invited me, but mistake on his part, but yeah, Kurt is really discipling our, our youth. Oh man, oh, that's amazing. So he invited me. He's been talking about like purity and sex and stuff like that, so I came as like the married person. It was supposed to be Michelle and I, but because of uh, our family was a little bit... Uh, got kind of hit with a flu thing or whatever earlier in the week. So she wasn't able to make it. I show up and I was like, hey, I heard I'm supposed to talk about sex, marriage, and dating. And the youth were like, oh, oh, you know. No, it was great though because I just like hit them hard. I hit them hard with some stuff, you know. Like we, hit, we talked a lot about becoming whole, healthy people so you can have a healthy marriage and talk a little bit about sex and stuff like that. It was kind of fun uh, and mess with them. And uh, man, they were really tracking. It's really neat. Like, but I could tell it's because he's, uh, Kurt's been cultivating that in them. So, awesome stuff. Awesome. And uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're just going to wrap up a series today called From Lack to Abundance. And it's been a financial series where the Lord has been building up our faith in His promise to provide for us abundantly. Amen? And, uh, man, I, I don't know. Has, has anyone been, grow, been growing in the Lord? I mean, not just in this area, but like in general. In my opinion, man... You, I feel like we as a church are really growing, and there's some things that I'm just seeing people growing in, and, and um, uh, I've just seen many of you making sacrifices and making choices and making adjustments in your life to really align yourself with the Word of God, and that's amazing. You should applaud yourself. You guys are, you guys are just awesome. So, yeah, give, your, give yourself a pat on the back, you know? But... Uh, no, no, I mean, I, I just really believe that you guys are growing. I don't know how you feel, but I just, I just see that the Lord is growing us in this. And we have spent some time in this, or a few months, because the Lord didn't want this just to be like a little, nice little series, or He doesn't want anything just to be a nice little series. He doesn't want anything just to be a, a nice little message and then move on with it. He really wanted to convince us that He is our provider and that He doesn't just want us to, He doesn't want us to struggle. He doesn't want us to be like everyone else. And he want, He's been breaking our dependence on this world system he's been breaking the hold that greed has and the deceitfulness of wealth has in us so that we're convinced that god is what i need amen that man does not live on bread alone but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of god and that's what we've been learning is that if if god is going to be my provider and i'm going to live according to the kingdom reality and remember what is the kingdom reality that there is no lack in his kingdom amen Things don't die in God's kingdom. Things don't diminish. Things don't decay. There's no entropy in the kingdom of God. Amen? Things increase. Things grow in the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to live according to that reality and instead of living according to basic principles of this world, we're learning we've had to make some adjustments. We've learned we need to believe the Lord. We need to live by His voice. We've talked a lot about that. We need to learn the language of faith, which is thankfulness. We've got to make adjustments in our life. We've talked about managing our, our, our money for His glory. And we've talked about tithing, giving Him 10%, which is to honor Him and sows into His kingdom and brings Him glory. We've talked about these things that are just adjustments we need to make, really, to position ourselves to receive His grace. Amen? And today, I just want to kind of wrap up what the Lord has been saying. And I uh, just really feel strongly about a, a word that He has for us. We've been... We've been seeing, um, uh, we haven't looked at all the stories in the, in the Bible, but we've seen a number of stories in the Bible where God provided abundantly in the midst of lack, right? Where people were struggling in, in famine or, or just struggling to, to see their own businesses be effective, like uh, Peter as a fisherman. And we saw the Lord with His supernatural power, by His grace, but we saw it's because the people heard His voice, did what He said, we saw God provide abundantly even in the midst of, of lack. And that's what He wants to do in us. And these stories we've been reading are not just the past, right? They're the stories about our God. And they're stories about what He wants to do in our life. And in 2 Kings chapter 4 is, a, is, a, is one of these stories that, that I believe that Lord wants us, this story and other stories, 
to meditate on, to just get into the Word of God and, and listen to His Word, meditate on these stories. You know, this, what I'll do, you know, when I listen to a, a message, I'll listen to it more than once or I'll take those scriptures and I'll meditate on them or when I'm doing my devotions and the Lord hits me with something, I just meditate on it. When I, get, when I receive a prophetic word from the Lord or through meditate on it, driving in my car, thinking about it all the time, when I'm praying, when I pray in the Spirit, and the Lord begins to speak to me profoundly as I meditate. So I just want to look at this story and, uh, and see what the Lord is saying to us. And it's a story about Elisha and, and a widow. And this is Elisha, right, with the S-H, not Elijah. Elijah comes first, and then Elisha was his servant who became the second prophet. You know how we, always, we all get mixed up with that, right? Even I, you're like, which one was that? Who did that miracle? You know, was it Elijah, Elisha? Who was it, right? So this is Elisha, and I've just been really blown away this last, uh, particularly this last week, with Elisha's life. I mean, Elijah's a good guy, but my goodness, crazy stuff that God used Elisha with. And this man understood how to walk in the reality of the kingdom. Right? He understood the, who our God is, and he understood how to position himself to be a conduit for what God wanted to do uh, through him to other people. And that's, of course, what we want to learn. So let's just read this, 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1, go to verse 7, and then we'll talk about what the Lord is, is saying to us through this. So yes, Lord, we just ask you to speak to us through this. Uh, verse 1, chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant, is, uh, your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind him, behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Wow. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is uh, not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Wow, what an amazing story, isn't it? Where God, through a prophet named Elisha, provides abundantly for this widow who had nothing. Think about the context of this. The context is this widow in verse 1, her husband has died. She was basically a minister's wife, right? She was a pastor's wife or whatever, prophet's wife. And this guy's died, but he's feared the Lord, he's, he's, he's loved the Lord, and he's gone, and she's got two sons. And for whatever reason, they're in a tremendous amount of debt. Maybe, uh, maybe because their, 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 their farm wasn't doing so good. Maybe because he racked up the debt. I mean, he probably wasn't a deadbeat or anything. But you know what I'm saying? Like there was a tremendous amount of debt. So much debt that she was going to have to sell her children. Not necessarily her willing choice. But they were, the creditors were going to come and take her children away as the payment for the debt. That's pretty insane. Right? So we're talking about a serious issue. I don't think any of us have ever been in that serious of an issue, right? Did you know that most Americans who, who do file for bankruptcy, the, the high majority who file for bankruptcy, it's actually because of a, a huge medical problem, like, like a, a, a huge medical problem and they can't pay for it, or a loss of a job and not being able to get that job. I mean, people aren't like necessarily, most Americans aren't like, I'm just going to be crazy with my money and then use bankruptcy as the parachute. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who think of it like that, some out there, but the huge majority, it is because of crisis. It is because, well, and you could argue maybe because of unpreparedness regarding the crisis, but hey, either way, the huge majority of when people are under a landslide of crazy debt is because of, of, of situations sometimes outside of their control. Storms come in this life, right? And, some, and oftentimes we're not prepared and we need to be more wise 
with how we do things so that we're prepared. But here's a woman who we don't necessarily, we can't necessarily assume that she or her husband did anything wrong. Situationally, she's in a tremendous amount of debt. Her sons are probably too young to work the fields and get jobs. Probably why she can't necessarily uh, rely on them to provide. But, but this is a, a day and age. There's no, there's no uh, uh, social security office, right? There's no soup kitchen. There, she's not going to go down and, uh, and, and talk to the human rights agency, right? right? This is serious. This is a huge amount of debt, and they're going to have to, they're going to come and take her children, which is basically, you know, like human trafficking nowadays. It's one of the things that happens nowadays in other countries and, uh, regarding the issue of child slavery. So this is a serious situation, a desperate situation, And yet, what does the Lord do? The Lord turns that around, and by the end of the story, all debt's paid, and there's so much abundance that they live on the rest. That's what the Lord does. Amen? And we need to understand, how does the kingdom operate? How did this happen? Let's look at what she does. In verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, cried out. What did she do? She cried out to the prophet Elisha. She cried out. What did Jesus teach us to do? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. How many people in the ministry of Jesus got a miracle Because they cried out. There is something about desperation, fervency, crying out, pleading, pursuing, chasing after the Lord that releases the power of God for us. She didn't get this because she was passively sitting in her house hoping that something would happen. She, she did not have a, a theology that said, well, you know, if God wants to do it, He'll just do it. Right? That did, when did Jesus ever walk up to somebody who was sitting there and just like, you know, if God wants to heal me, He'll just do it. When did Jesus ever teach that as the description of faith? When did, when did Jesus ever come up to somebody who was sitting there being like, you know, you know, if God wants to do it, and then say, your faith has healed you? Remember blind Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy on me. Huge crowd of people just walking right by him. Blind blind Bartimaeus. Something happened in his life where he was tired of being blind. See, in those days, you got a a crippling ailment. That's what you did. You begged. And he could have been fine with, I'm just going to sit here. Someone's going to give me some money. Somebody's going to give me some food, right? But something happened in blind Bartimaeus' life where he was done with being blind, right? I am done with begging. I am done with this being my life. And here is a man walking by me who has the power to heal me, right? It wasn't just a desperation, but it was the awakening of hope that this man can change my life. And I'm not going to let him walk by, right? I'm not going to let somebody tell me to be quiet. So he said, son of David, have mercy on me, right? Have mercy on me. Shh, be quiet. Bothering him. We're trying to have a parade here for Jesus, you know? We're trying to get to, the, we're trying to, get to, to, to Jerusalem or something like that. And he yells out again, have mercy on me, right? See, there was a mother. There was a mother. It doesn't take a lot for a mom to get desperate for her children, does it? There was a mother, a Syrophoenician woman. That means she, wasn't, she was a Gentile, not a Jewish person. She was not going to let the fact that she was not Jewish, not part of the covenant people of God, stop her from getting something from Jesus. Remember? Jesus, my, my daughter's demon-possessed. She was probably had some sort of ailment or sickness caused from a demon. Very, very common for, demon, for sickness to be caused from a demon. She's crying out, help my daughter. She's not crying out for herself. She's crying out for her kid. And Jesus, he just ignores her. It's one of those stories that always messes with us. But he never rejected her, did he? 
And he said, oh, you know, you can't, you can't, throw, the, can't throw the bread to the dogs. And, he, and he's saying, you know, this, this is for the covenant people of God. The gospels go to the, go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. She wasn't going to let that stop her. She goes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. What, what did he say to blind Bartimaeus? What did he say to this woman? Remember? What did he say to the woman who had a flow of blood in her for 12 years, giving her money to the doctors? And yet one day she hears about Jesus. Mark 5 says she heard. Remember, faith comes by hearing. She heard about Jesus and hope awakened in her heart. Only I touch his hem, the hem of his garment. You know, she's not supposed to go out in public. She's not supposed to be in a crowd of people because in, the, in that culture, you touch somebody, you make them unclean. This is a bad thing to do. She doesn't care. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. Back off. No, you know, it's just you know, a little attitude. No, I'm joking, you know. And she, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. Power was released from Jesus. He didn't even know. And what did he say to that woman? Your faith has healed you. Well, you know, come on, guys. Come on, Jesus. Faith, her faith didn't do that. It was your power. Of course. Of course it was his power. But what released it? What accesses what is available to us in the kingdom of God? What accesses what releases the kingdom of God? What is it? It's faith, is it not? What did he say to blind Marmanus? Your faith. Actually, he said to him, let it be unto you according to your he said, what do you want? I want to see. He could have been like, I'd like a Rolls Royce. You know what I mean? He could have, well, could I have a little bit of food? You know, he could have been like, I have a hangnail. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see. Then let it be unto you according to your faith. What did he say to that woman? Your faith got you that one. Your faith tapped in to what was available to you. What do you say to the Syrophoenician woman? Oh, you have great faith. He didn't say that to very many people, did he? Two, you've got great faith. And then he said, go. That's all he said to her. Go. She took him at his word, and her daughter was healed. He didn't even go to the girls, cast the demon out. Ah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? What's the Lord saying? There, there are things in the kingdom of God, most things, but there are things in the kingdom of God that we will not get unless we cry out, unless we cry out with desperation. There's something about desperation. There's something about a fervency when my heart wants it that opens my heart to receive what God has and opens God's heart, attracts God's heart to want to release it. See, I mean, can you imagine Elisha walks up to her and be like, hey, collect some vessels and fill up the jars of oil. She'd be like, what? Who are you? He, she cried out to him. I got nothing. I need help. You know? He's like, what am I going to do? I don't have like millions of dollars. You know, I don't have thousands of dollars. I don't have, I can't pay your creditors. What do you have in your house is what he asked. We've got to cry out. What does James chapter 5 say? The, pre, the, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. The fervent, right? The fervent, passionate, not giving up. The whatever it takes, I'm not being silent until you do what I'm asking. We're not trying to twist God's arm, are we? Jesus taught us this. God's a good God. He knows what you need. He already wants to do it for you. We're not trying to convince Him to do something He doesn't want to do. We're not trying to twist His arm. Why then? Why fervent, desperate, crying out, pounding on the doors of heaven to get these things from the kingdom? Is it because God doesn't want to do it? No, it's the exact opposite. He's looking for a people who will believe Him and, and ask him to do it. And ask him until he does it. People who would be desperate enough, saying, Lord, in my situation, I don't want to remain the same that I am. For this lady was an external circumstance that she maybe didn't have control over. And so it was an external desperation. She had no other hope. 
She's going to lose her children, and then more than likely, she could have died herself or just, you know, living by herself now. No one to take care of her. No children to raise. These two sons are her, uh, that is her retirement plan, right? Those two sons are her retirement plan. That's how it worked back in those days. She would have nothing. And so out of desperation and yet a hope and yet a faith that God can turn this situation around, right? The woman with the flow of blood, a desperation. I don't want to be like this, but if I only touch the hem of his garment, son of David. What did that leper say to Jesus? You can heal me if you're willing. And what did Jesus say? For all time, he established for healing and for, for all the promises that they're available and God is willing. Jesus said to him, I'm willing. And he touched him and he made him clean. Right? This is the heart of the Lord. And yet there's something about being desperate that until I get desperate concerning my situation and until I get to a point where I say, Lord, I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to, to, to let up on this until you do, listen, what you said you would do. According to your promise, you're faithful. See, crying out to God and beseeching heaven, right, is not an act of unbelief. It is an act of faith because you believe that He will do what He said, but you take Him at His word that you have to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. He said, I want to tell you a story about a widow. And why did He tell the story in Luke 18? You can look it up later. He, he said, I'm going to tell you the story. The narrator actually, Luke says, he told this story to teach us to pray and never lose heart. And he talks about a widow who goes before an unjust judge and night and day and night and day won't let up on this judge till she gets justice from this judge. Till this judge basically helps her with some people that were causing her trouble. And the judge says, oh my goodness, I don't care about God, I don't care about people, but just to get her off my back, I'm going to do what she wants. And he says, how much more God, who is just, who loves who wants to do this for his people and who has promised it in the word of God. How much more if God's people will cry out night and day, won't God act speedily? There's something about a fervent, desperate, night and day, not giving up prayer that does something, like I said, to attract the heart of God and release the things of the kingdom, but also open my own heart to be able to receive it. Passivity, complacency, It's really just an evidence that we don't really believe He'll keep His promise, right? It's really just an evidence that we're not desperate enough. Sometimes we're not desperate enough because we really like the way we are right now. We like to hold on to our addictions sometimes. We really like to wallow in our self-pity. We know there's a problem, but we're not desperate enough to move. And so often we wait for external circumstances to force us to become desperate. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to wait for external circumstances to make you desperate. You don't. Now most people do. The complacency of fools destroys them, says the the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. The complacency of fools destroys them. What does that mean? Just kind of going through life, thinking everything's just fine, ignoring the problems that are going on inside of you or, or... or areas where you're neglecting wisdom, you know, like we've talked about with managing money, sometimes just neglecting that. But the complacency of fools will destroy them because suddenly a disaster hits, suddenly something happens in the economy, and I'm not ready and I'm not prepared, and why did God let this happen? And the complacency of fools destroys them. And yet what did the Lord say in Matthew chapter 5? I love it. He says the poor and poor in spirit will be blessed. You know what that is? That's a person who got desperate before they had to. That's what that means. Poor in spirit. Crushed. Poor. Empty. On the inside. It's the person who knows, I need the Lord. I need victory in this area. I want breakthrough. It's a person who fears the Lord and doesn't wait until the crisis comes. Doesn't wait till they got caught with the addiction. Got in trouble because they were doing this. Doesn't wait until the divorce papers to be like, maybe I should change. Doesn't wait. 
but says, God, I want your blessing. I want your kingdom. I want to be free. I want to be blessed. And gets desperate on the inside and begins to cry out to the Lord. Jesus says it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. Not the people who wait until other people make them change. The external motivation. But the Lord's grace comes to us to awaken internal motivation that moves us to action. What did Jesus say in Luke 18 after he told the story of the widow? Saying that she night and day went after this judge to get it. Jesus ends it and just says, he just, I wonder if he was thinking out loud. But will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? That's what he said, Luke 18. What was he talking about? Night and day prayer. The kind of people who believe God and believe his promises and will take the things on earth and hold them before God until what's on earth looks like what's in heaven. Amen? That kind of prayer. This is what got her a miracle. I remember when I was 16, I came to Jesus, and as many of you know, I've mentioned before, that I, uh, I had a lot of problems, actually. Anger and things like that. Anger and some deep internal emotional wounds, you know. But I had a struggle with lust, just like many other young men and things like that. And you know, I didn't really know that there were promises in the Bible. Did you know that? I was like, yay, Jesus loves me. He died. And that took me a while to get, by the way. I was like, I was, I was tough. But when I got it, I was like, man, you died for me. You love me. Yeah. I didn't know there were promises in the Bible. Now I do, you know. Now I'm like, yeah, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But there was one promise that I understood. So, I, I, a little bit. I understood a little bit. It's in, it's in Romans chapter 10, and, and it says this. Well, it's actually quoting the Old Testament. He who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I don't know what it was, but there was something inside of me that said, you said, if I cry, if I call upon your name, you will save me. Now, see, I thought I had to, like, convince God. You know, even though I, I had understood that I was loved by God a little, and I understood I was righteous in Christ, I still beat myself up a lot when I would struggle and fall down as a new Christian. And I would, uh, and I would, and I would get mad at God. I used to always get mad at God. Now I'm like, I don't get mad at you because I know it's, you're right, you know. <laughs> I'm really honest with God. It's just, he's right all the time, so I just stopped getting mad. No, but uh, I would, like, get mad at him, and I, you said, you know, that kind of thing. So my attitude wasn't necessarily right on the right, on the right track. But I understood something. It's like the only promise I understood. That you said, if I call on your name, I will be saved. You said that. And so every day, I'd cry out to God to set me free. And I'd keep crying out to God. And I'd be like, you said that, you do that. Where are you? You know what I'm saying? And I'd get all mad and everything. But there was a fervency. There was a desperation. See, there was something. It says this in Matthew chapter 5. The pure in heart will see God. I wanted to be pure in heart. I wanted to encounter the Lord. Not just stop a habit. I wanted to be pure in my motives. I still do. It's just cry in my heart, not just you know, in, in, in sexual things. I mean like humility. I wanted the purity of motive to love like he loves. Still, still working on me in those humble areas. And so I cried out to God. I cried out. And I really believe that's what made, listen, all the difference. Most people, they don't want it that bad. They just don't. They're not poor in spirit. There's not that true repentance and that fear of the Lord. And for some reason, I don't know why, I think it's the grace of God, I believed Him. And the funny thing is, guess what He started doing? The first thing He started doing, He started awakening my faith that He wanted to do it more than I wanted. That's always happened. Now I'm a little quicker. I'm a little quicker on the, you know, a little faster. Oh, get it. You want to do it, right? But here, why? Why did he awaken that faith first? Why is that always the first thing? Why is it that I hit harp on that so much even as a pastor here? Because faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith operates in that realm where God's, the revelation of his goodness 
His, I want to do this more than you want me to do. I'm the one who put that desire in your heart, right? I love it when I meet like, when I, you know, we see new people come to Jesus and they're like, they didn't even know it was sin before, you know? <laughs> now they're like, I hate this, I'm sinning. And you're like, and then they feel condemned. And you're like, you didn't even care it was sin two days ago. Why are you beating yourself up? You should be celebrating that, right? It's teaching people that is actually the glory of God in you. You're a bad sinner if you're, in a, if you're a Christ follower. You're just a bad sinner now, you know? And uh, so I began to realize as he spoke to me and corrected me, oh, you want to do this? You want to do this? I began to believe God. You want to do this in my life? And I began to hear the Lord. He began to speak to me, give me strategies right from the Word of God. I didn't realize that. I didn't know. Nowadays, we call those strategies OSL and pure desire. On Tuesday nights, we have a men's group. They get together. They, pri- they don't just do this, but primarily working through things like purity. Those principles that the Lord gave me, I didn't know those things. I never read a book. But I pressed into the Lord. I cried out to God. You want to know why He gave me those principles? Because I was crying out to Him. Maybe the answer is, want to know why I received them? Maybe it's because I was crying out. I don't know. All I know is I believe that one thing, that if I would cry out to God, He would save me. And He began to build up my faith, break off condemnation, teach me who I was in Christ, and began to give me strategies from His Word, things I needed to do. And He released His supernatural power and broke a lot of those strongholds of lust in my heart. Began to walk in freedom and purity. And, and, then, in, you know, and then as I got older, just, He continued to, just to deal with me on the, core, or the more core issues of the thoughts and the motives of my heart. And he continues still to do that. But I walk in freedom because of that. Do you see what happened with this, this, with this woman? Isn't it, didn't it the same thing that happened? She cries out to, the, to this prophet to receive something from the Lord through this man, this prophet of God. She cries out, and what does she get? She gets what? A word from God, right? She gets a prophetic word. It's called a word of wisdom, a strategy, a Holy Spirit strategy. Do this. And do you notice that that word that God gives to her, it's very common that this happens in the scriptures. He says, what do you have? Do you notice that the Lord always starts with what you have? We're focused on what we don't have, don't we? We're focused on what we don't have, and yet the Lord always, what do you have? Same thing with the loaves and the fishes, right? Well, what do we got around here? Well, we got a little bit of bread and some fish. And of course, the amount of bread and fish wasn't even enough to feed the disciples, let alone 5,000 men plus women and children. We're talking 15, maybe 20,000 people. You got a couple pieces of bread and some fish. But what happens when you take what you have, and by the word of the Lord, through faith, bring it into the kingdom? It multiplies. Because there's no death in the kingdom of God, right? Things only multiply. Things only increase in the kingdom of God. So when a person, like Jesus, takes some bread, brings it into the kingdom by faith, what happens? Bam. Multiplies. And there's leftovers because there's no lack. There's only leftovers in the kingdom, right? There's abundance. Same thing that happens here. He simply tells her, take what you have. I don't don't have anything. Well, I have a little bit of oil. All right, we'll start with that. That's what the Lord wants. For you to bring to Him what you have. To bring to him that little bit that you have. I don't know what that is. You need to hear the Lord. And this is exactly what happened in my life. I cried out to the Lord. He built up my faith and I did. And what happened? I heard God. And then you put it into practice. This is what we've been learning as a church. Do you see that? Then go and borrow some vessels. This is the word of knowledge here. I'm sorry, the word of wisdom. Go borrow these vessels. She has to do something. She has to take a risk. Do you realize that inherent in every word from the Lord is the invitation to take risk, to take action? And guess what? It, it's a lot of work, right? These, these kids, because I think she mostly had her kids go and do it. But you know, she had to go knock on the neighbor's door. Can I borrow some vessels? And she had to take a risk. Now, there's not a ton of risk in what she's doing, but she is risking people thinking she's weird. So why are you doing it? Uh, well, you know, I'm going to pour some oil into it. I mean, she's taking some risk here. She's taking some risk that somebody's going to say no. Don't, don't we have that when the Lord puts something on your heart to do something? Oh, but what if they think I'm weird? What if they say no? What if I fail? Right? 
All those thoughts that come through our head. It takes risk to say, Lord, I have to move from where I'm at to, to where you want me to be. I have to take this little bit, this little bit. Now, see, the word of wisdom makes a little bit of sense. I mean, he says it. She knows exactly what she needs to do. Collect these vessels, pour the oil into the jars, and then you're going to have a bunch, of, a bunch of oil. I mean, it says it right there. Take the full ones. Set aside the full ones in verse 4. But it's not very logical, is it? Well, you want me to take a little bit of oil that I have, pour it into vessels, and there's going to be a lot of oil? It, it, the action is simple. The action is natural. God is never asking us to do something that we can't do. All she had to do was ask for some jars and pour some oil into it. It's, it's a simple act, but it takes work, doesn't it? They had to go out there, collect these things, and it takes risk. Think about with, uh, with Peter casting his nets, risking looking like a fool. What about Isaac? We talked about Isaac a number of weeks ago, sowing seed into the ground. That's his investment. You sow seed into a fallow ground. Remember, no one else's seed is, is producing anything. It's a famine. He puts seed in the ground, it reaps a hundredfold. If he put that seed in the ground and it did nothing, gone. Bye-bye investment, right? We take our money and we tithe and we sow it into the kingdom. There's a risk there, isn't there? And yet we tithe in faith, sowing into the God's kingdom, and he has promised there for, there, for, there, for that to be reap abundance. It's a risk, isn't it? And here's this woman. She hears the word of the Lord, and she obeys, and she takes the risk, and she takes action. And there's results, isn't there? And you notice that to the degree that she obeyed, to the degree that she believed this word, is the degree that that miracle happened. Because once they were done with the vessels that they had collected, the oil ceased, right? Now, she must have had a good amount of faith there, huh? She believed. I think her desperation... The fact that she initiated this, it positioned her to be like, all right, you want me to collect some vessels? I'll go do it. And he said, don't collect a few. But hey, how many people in the Bible just kind of go halfway? How many people nowadays? Yeah, halfway. The Lord wants you to take that risk where he's spoken to you and he's saying, take what you have. You sow that into my kingdom, I will, I will multiply it. Now, I don't just, that's, I don't just mean giving. It could be investment. That could be stepping out in obedience to do something or go somewhere or talk to somebody. And the Lord is saying, I will bless it. I will multiply it. In fact, it's so awesome because even throughout these number of months, the Lord has been speaking to me personally and speaking to me for this church. As I've been meditating on these things, as I've been declaring them to you, this has been a prophetic word to our church. And I'm telling you, I'm hearing the Lord on some stuff. He's changing my thinking. He's talking to me about some adjustments, but he's talking to me even this morning as we were worshiping the Lord. I just heard the Lord speaking to me about what he was going to do more than I could ask or imagine. But what do I need to do? I got to obey the word too. I got to take, step out, take the risk, put the effort into it and take the risk to sow that into his kingdom and believe, I will back you, says the Lord. Amen? So she believed, she believed, didn't she? Because however many vessels she collected, there was so much oil, it's got to be a lot. There's so much oil, she pays off the debt to pay for two children, at least, right? Plus whatever else she owed. And then they lived on the rest. I'm thinking it could have been at least a few years for these kids to grow up and get older and be able to work jobs or work the fields and be able to provide for their mom. At least a few years, maybe more. That literally in verse 7, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest? That's amazing. Now that's abundance. What does the Lord want to do in you to break off poverty, break off debt, break off lack? What does He want to do as you step out in faith to bring abundance? I mean, man, you know, Dave Ramsey, we joke, he calls it the snowball method, right? Man, we call it like the avalanche method, right? Take that little bit you have and you trust the Lord with it and begin to do what He's called you to do. And that debt, man, that, that debt was gone in a, less than a day. Gone. And now she's on top instead of below. That's what the Lord wants to do. Amen? This is what the Lord wants to do. <clears throat> I remember, uh, I totally forgot about this story for, for a while. But um, when, I was, when I was 17, the Lord called me to be a pastor. Right? So in this season where I was just going after God, 
my own personal OSL. The Lord's speaking to me and just calling me to some stuff. And I was, I was pretty freaked out. But he spoke to me about being a pastor. And uh, I was looking at colleges, right? Looking all around, different colleges and stuff like that. And my parents, uh, uh, very, very committed to education and very much understand that that's an investment in our, in our future, our career, and things like that. It's good stuff. And I began to feel the Lord's calling me to a, a school right over here called Life Bible College. Now it's called Life Pacific College. And it's not, it was, I'm sorry, it was not at the time accredited. If you know about accreditation, uh, accreditation means other colleges accept that this is like a legitimate school. So you can transfer units or you can go from the BA to the MA uh, without any problems. It was accredited among other Bible colleges. In fact, it was an amazing school then and it's an amazing school now. Uh, they do now have their accreditation. But at that, t- that time they did not. And at first it was just this sense that I needed to look into this school and I needed to go here. And uh, so I began to look into it, and I visited the school. I remember pulling into the school with my mom. I didn't say anything to her, but I remember thinking, huh, where, where's the school? You know, because I'd looked at, like, Loyola Marymount and, like, bigger, big schools, you know? It's like, where's the school, you know? And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And, but I knew, I, I could sense it in my spirit that this was the Lord. But my parents were totally unhappy. It wasn't that I was going to be a pastor, it was that, like, no, 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 you're not going to an unaccredited school. This is not okay. I remember researching, emailing the dean of students, the academic dean, like, are you accredited, and, you know, blah, 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 and finding out that they're actually in the process of it. I mean, I was like really doing my research here, pressing into this, and uh, we looked at APU, we looked at all, you know, which I finally, I later got my master's from, and I remember uh, my mom was definitely trying to sway me towards APU. She's like, see, it's like the same, you know, but it's accredited. You know, she was really trying. She's pretty amazing. And, uh, uh, but I was really torn. I didn't want to dishonor or disobey my parents. Uh, I definitely, I agreed with them with the accreditation thing. I wasn't like against what they were saying. I don't think they believed me, <laughs> you know. They thought I was rebelling. Uh, but I, I wasn't. I was deeply, fr- I was scared. And I definitely didn't want to be on the bad side of my parents. Uh, especially, you know, as a 17-year-old struggling with that acceptance and already not being Catholic and saying you're going to be a pastor. It's already rocking the boat a little. So there was some struggle there. And I remember going before the Lord uh, one, one time. And I had talked to the Lord about this. Um, I remember crying out to God. I said, God, what do I do? I was like, just tell me! You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Life or APU? What do you want me to do? Oh, I've never heard the Lord more clearly. Maybe like one other time. I tell people, shoot, I heard God more clearly about that than about getting married, you know? But also I've learned, by the way, I've learned to be led by the, the leading of the Spirit. I believe as, as we grow as mature adult Christians, He wants to be led by the Spirit. But I, it was practically audible. Not quite, but like spiritually audible. <laughs> and the Lord was like, life. And here, this is me. I'm so spiritual. APU? <laughs> I'm not messing. I mean, it's like, you know, now that I have kids, I'm like, oh, I get that now. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get the answer I really wanted. Said, he said, life. I said, APU? And he goes, literally, a second time, life. I heard the Lord two times, deeply audible, to go to that school. Woo! It's what I needed. So I chose to go. And I had to tell my parents, the Lord spoke to me. I don't even know if I said that. I probably did. I probably didn't give them all the details, but the Lord spoke to me. I got to go. And my mom was like, well, maybe it's an Isaac. I mean, she's amazing, right? Maybe it's the Isaac thing and like, God's just testing you. Maybe. I got to do it. I got to do it. They thought it was a phase. You know, they thought it would like pass over. And uh, this phase is lasting a while, isn't it? And... <laughs> And it just keeps getting better. So, um, the, um, it was tough. It was really tough. They didn't like it. I, I was really concerned. They thought I was rebelling, uh, causing some tension there. And they basically told me, we're not going to pay for an unaccredited college. And I said, okay, that's what you got to do. And um, that was pretty tough. And... Uh, 
I had been saving a bunch of money. I've been working since I was 15, so I'm saving and things like that. So I had enough money to pay for that first semester. You got to know, I had been putting my money into the kingdom. I just want you to know that. I mean, like, from when I came to Jesus, started sowing into the kingdom, tithe, but also even above that to the ministry we were doing. We were doing, like, Christian club stuff. And uh, I said, all right, we're going to make it happen. But, of course, there was the Dave Turner striving, you know. Dave Turner didn't know how to rest back then. And I was like, fine, God told me to go light. I'm going to make it happen. I calculated it out. What do I need for the next semester? Because one semester was good. All right, I'm going to get a full-time job. Go to classes. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it work. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just me. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, that, that's never good. And uh, the striving on the inside. So I went, though. I went. I said, okay, I'm going to go. Paid for the first semester, which was a lot cheaper back then probably than it is now. And uh, I started going to life, doing my thing, working hard, you know. I used to wear a tie to class. That was weird then. <laughs> it's weird now. But I was like, I'm serious about this, you know. I remember asking the Lord later, why, why are you having me go? I was like, I don't get it. Why am I going? He's like, the people. That's why he told me. And of course, that's where I met Dave Metzger and got connected to this church. I mean, it's like, that's why he had me go there. He had a purpose, he, and, he, and he told me why I was doing it. So I went, I'm ready to rock and everything. And I, I went looking out for jo- I went looking for jobs everywhere, you know what I'm saying? Hey, like a month earlier, I was, I was finding some great jobs, you know. People wanted to hire me. Go to San Dimas, and nothing happening, you know. And the Lord, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, he's like, nope, mm-mm. don't want you to do that. Don't want you to do it. He kept telling me, stop, stop trying. I kept trying, ride my bike. I didn't have my car, you know, I didn't have a car, ride my bike, go put in applications everywhere, and just striving and worrying about it, and I was like, nope, don't worry, you know, stop it, and he had put on my heart to do a tutoring thing, like just to be a tutor to the junior high and the high school, and so I went and finally, I mean, I finally kind of was like, fine, I gave up on the job thing, you know, I'm going to do the tutoring thing, so I offered my tutoring assistance to these schools, and that actually ended up creating, life actually ended up partnering with those schools, and, and I was kind of a catalyst for that, starting a tutoring program that I ended up tutoring in, but that never was much money. But that first semester, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. And month after month, we're going like, where's the money coming from? And back then, I didn't know about like student loans. Pretty cool. I should, it's a good thing. I wish people just didn't know about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know. I was like, dude, better come through, right? And, um, but the Lord was teaching me how to rest. The Lord was telling me, I want you to invest in the church that you're in. I want you to do this tutoring thing. And I was really struggling with understanding how this is all going to work out. It's kind of scary, right? And I was learning not to strive. Well, you know, what's pretty amazing is, I don't know if it was November or December, my parents said, we're going to start paying for your school. We changed their heart. This school wasn't accredited, you know what I'm saying? It still wasn't accredited. It got accredited like a year or two after I graduated, and now it's accredited. Now I have a, and when I got my MA, they're all good to go. But the Lord moved their heart. The Lord changed their heart. He was getting me to rest. If the Lord told me to go get a job, Take less units, work full, fine. That, that, people have to do that a lot. They've got to make sacrifices. But praise God, my trust isn't in my parents. My trust is in the Lord. When you hear the Lord, it's not going to be the easy thing all the time. It might take the, the cheaper, the, the, the lower paying job because he want, has something else for you. Right? We're not talking about greed and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about doing what God has for us. But he will provide abundantly. I, don't have, I didn't have school debt. Praise God. I don't think I would have done it anyways. You know? I didn't know what I, I know now. I, I, don't, I didn't have school debt. I didn't. It's because of my parents being wise, but because of the Lord putting it on their heart to say, you know, he's pretty serious about this. Let's, let's do this. But I believe it was the Lord moving their heart. What, does the, what is the Lord calling you to do? To say, Lord, I, I have enough to pay for a semester. I don't have enough to pay for the whole college. But I'm going to trust you. Right? What is the Lord saying to you? What do you have that he wants you to give into his kingdom? Right? I don't have anything. Well, you might have jo- time. I don't have a job. You have time. You can go look for one. What would happen when you go with the Lord, crying out to God, positioning your heart to hear Him, to go and look for that job, to go talk to those people, oh, but what if they say no? But you go and you, and you put that application in, and you know the Lord is with me. That I'm not just like everyone else, right? God has provided, promised to provide for me, and that He is with me, amen? And that He will bring abundance, even in recession. Abundance, even in the midst of lack. So this is what the Lord is calling us to, to believe Him and to trust Him. Amen? And, and, and let's go ahead and stand up, and we'll just, <clears throat> let's respond to the Lord right now.
respond to the Lord. You remember when Jesus was in that boat with his disciples and they had one loaf of bread? And Jesus goes, Hey guys, be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And they're like, Oh no, we don't have any bread. I don't know if you remember that story. And Jesus says, Guys, what are you, hard of heart? Do you not understand? Don't you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Remember that? And he asks them, he does a little like, he does a little like uh, math, math, uh, math, uh, 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 a parable with them. How many people did we have? How many bre- how pieces of bread? And how many were left over when I multiplied them? Uh, there was 4,000, there were seven pieces of bread, and then there was like seven basketfuls left over. And how many people with the 5,000? You know, it was like a little like math problem for them, right? Kingdom math problem. And he goes, don't you guys get it? Don't you guys get it? Or is your heart hard, he said. Is your heart hard? What, what didn't they get? I mean, they watched bread multiply, you know what I'm saying, through their own hands. And yet, they had one piece of bread, and they're like, oh no, Jesus is mad at us, and we're going to get hungry. And he says, don't you guys get it? See, I believe the Lord just wants to just kind of say this at, at, at the end of this series, if you will, and say this to us as a church, like, Do you understand? Don't be hard-hearted, but open your heart to the Lord. We need our minds to be renewed, don't we? We need to think like the kingdom, that nothing dies in the kingdom. There's no lack in the kingdom. And as we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto us. We invest our lives into the kingdom. If God speaks to you and you need to hear His voice and you do what He says... He will come through. I know so many people, they're led by emotions, though. You know, maybe a person says, like, one, one month they thought they were called to this school, and then the next month, I need to leave. Did, did God tell you to leave? Or are you just being led by your emotions? So many people, they're not led by, they're led by whatever. They're all over the place. You can tell because they're not sticking with it. Did God change his mind or something like that? You know, well, I collected, like, ten vessels, but, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Did you pour the oil? Well, I don't know if it's going to work. Did he change his mind or not? You know what I'm saying? The Lord, many of us need to stick with the word of the Lord. Stand up and keep doing what he said to do until it works. Because if he said it, I mean, if you didn't hear him, fine. We all make mistakes. Change then. That's, but, but if the Lord spoke to you, you don't give up. You don't, you don't change directions. We're not led by emotions. And the Lord is saying, don't be hard-hearted. Receive. Hear my voice. Understand how the kingdom operates. Understand, if I'm with you, and you got one piece of bread, that's enough to feed an army, right? That's enough. Amen?